This is Philip Meyer, welcoming you to another episode of Talking About Platforms. We present and discuss relevant discoveries from the field of platform research. Hi, I'm Daniel Trabucchi. In every episode, we have a guest sharing with us one of his or her latest papers on platforms to make it accessible for everyone. And with that, let's jump right into the conversation. Welcome to another episode of Talking About Platforms. Another episode, another very exciting guest. Hi, Annabelle. Hi, Philip, and hi, Daniel. Very happy to be here. Exactly. This guest is Annabelle Goya. Um, I talk or introduce her in a second. First, I have also to say hello to my regular co-host, Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Philip. Yeah, today's guest, Annabelle. Uh, Annabelle is a professor in digital economy at the University of Surrey and currently a visiting professor of strategy and innovation at the Site Business School at the University of Oxford. Annabelle has a very impressive track record in the field of platform research with over 30 articles and four books published on the topic. She um, started many still very relevant discussions about industrial platforms, uh, in the time during and shortly after her PhD at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, together with Michael Cusumano and other colleagues. And she's still leading a leading voice uh, in current discussions about especially platform regulation uh, in the EU uh, and with the EU. And uh, have I missed something, Annabelle? That no, I like think that's, uh, that's, that's a good summary of, 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 of my... Uh efforts to understand platforms uh, over the last 20 years. So that's good. <laughs> well, with the uh, rich body of knowledge of over 20 years platform uh, research, Daniel, what would be your, your first question? Well, you know, asking our usual opening question to Annabelle is, is kind of strange because I think that all of us and all the people that interviewed in this, in this podcast actually built on, on your work, so it's it's going to be interesting to to hear your story here, as as we told you, as 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 you can imagine, just from the title of the podcast, the thing that get all the people involved here, um, that, that that all the people involved here have in common is the fact that we talk about platforms, but platforms have multiple meanings. It's you know a kind of strange word that can brings to different uh, perspectives, companies businesses and so on and so forth. So usually we open the podcast with a question that is, what is a platform to you? So not really the definition, but actually what it means to you. And uh, even more personally, how did you end up studying platforms? What brought you here? Okay, well, these are, these are two great questions. So let me start with the definition. So, um, Platforms can be thought of as technologies or sometimes platform as markets and sometimes platforms are organizations. I think um, my co-authors and I tend to think of platforms as a particular way to create value that relies both on a particular way of organizing and a particular kind of technologies. And these ways of creating value uh, focus on connecting multiple sides, multiple types of economic agents uh, that uh, that could not connect uh, or would have difficulty connecting without what this platform does. Now, this notion of connecting actors uh, or interconnecting actors is not limited to just facilitating 
transactions between them, that is just bringing together buyers and sellers, um, uh, we identify um, we identify two types of platforms. One we call transaction platforms and the other one we call innovation platforms. And transaction platforms will be basically a kind of online marketplace. And the examples here will be, you know, Amazon marketplace that brings together third-party sellers with users or Uber that brings together drivers with uh, riders or Airbnb that brings together um, people who have uh, houses or flats to rent and those who want to, uh, to rent them. Uh, and so these are straightforward transaction platforms where, uh, where um, the platform creates value for both sides by allowing them to exchange with each other subject to cross-site network effects. So subject to this uh, condition where if there are more users on the one side of the platform that will increase the value of the platform for users on the other side. We also identify a different kind of platform, which we call innovation platform. And here the platform is a uh, foundational technology, a building block, if you wish, on top of which others can innovate in complementary products and services and technologies. So the fundamental distinction we make between transaction platforms and innovation platforms is that whereas in transaction platforms, what is being exchanged uh, already exists and is not developed purely on top of the existing platform. When we talk about innovation platforms, we're talking about the platform facilitating the innovation, uh, facilitating or stimulating the generation of, of, of new technologies that did not exist before. And then interestingly, now a recent uh, book called The Business of Platforms, which I wrote with Michael Cosumano from MIT and David Yoffi from Harvard Business School, we, uh, we identify a number of firms which are amongst the most successful, the biggest and the most powerful platforms, which adopt what we call a hybrid model, which is that they both have an innovation side and a transaction side. So for example, Google has Google Play, which is in an, uh, a transaction platform, but they also have Google Android, which is a, an innovation platform. And Apple has the app, app Store, which is a transaction platform, and they also have Apple iOS. So we think the future is going to be a lot around those hybrid models. So that's to answer the, 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 the first part of your question, which is how do we define platform? How do I define platform? The second uh, uh, question you had was how I came to study that. And you're right to, to, to point out that when I started to study this topic, there really wasn't a, a platform literature as such. And uh, my first book, which was based on my thesis, which was called Platform Leadership, was really, I, I believe, one of the first, if not the first uh, piece of management research around this topic. Uh, I came to study it because I was interested in innovation. Uh, I was trained as an engineer and I worked in telecommunication for a few years before going back to, to, to school and, and getting a PhD at the Sloan School of Management in the specialty of management of technology and innovation. And at the time, I was trying to understand why some industries were more, were more innovative than others. And I was fascinated by uh, the relationship between Microsoft and Intel in the computer industry and how whenever, um, whenever Intel developed, as it did every couple of years, a new and better microprocessor that had more uh, capabilities to process data very fast, how very soon after you would have Microsoft. Uh, so whenever Intel would develop a new microprocessor, Microsoft would come up with a new version of, of, uh, of Microsoft Windows, 
which was more capable, but also uh, consumed more resources from the microprocessor. And it was as if the innovation in one of those um, products, the microprocessors triggered or facilitated or stimulated innovation on the operating system. And then in turn, the extended capability of the, of the operating system, which became more, uh, more, more uh, using more resources of the microprocessor that also triggered innovation in the microprocessor. So I was interested in complementarities across firms and how innovation made by one firm could facilitate or stimulate innovation by another firm. And, uh, and that's in, in uh, I, I, I did my thesis on Intel. I also interviewed a number of people at, at Microsoft and other firms. And I started to identify this phenomenon that uh, firms could stimulate innovation on complements. So I was looking at, and that's what I described in my thesis, the efforts that Intel made to, to influence the trajectory of innovation of software developers, or developers of hardware, that um, seemed like a surprising uh, strategy, considering the fact that Intel was just a supplier into a larger system. So by digging into this, I, I understood um, a number of, uh, of key points about the complementarity of innovation and how one firm could take on this role of being an orchestrator of, of an ecosystem. And I think we were among the first who, to qualify this, this uh, coalition of firms, of innovators around uh, core technologies as an ecosystem. So I came to study platforms because I was interested in innovation. And I think in my research, I unearthed a particular kind of structure of, um, of, of, uh, of innovation in, in ecosystems where one firm could play a key role into, uh, into stimulating innovation along particular trajectories that were complementary to the core product. So that's the long answer to your question. That's, that's what I've got for you. That's a very nice uh, and interesting story. And it's interesting to see, you know, the back end of, uh, of the books and uh, all your research that we all read and enjoyed and, and used a lot. So thank you for telling us the long story. Yeah, I, I also think it's super, super interesting. And yeah, we're all very, very thankful for, for, your, for your work, for your early work that you started the whole kicked off the whole uh, like research stream basically um and as you know uh, annabelle we always uh, talk about um one particular piece um with our guests and for your piece today for me it feels like that uh, you have summarized these 20 years of platform research basically in one one very concise uh, uh piece um and and like use so many of your uh, very valuable experiences and, and research projects from the from the past and and stick that so well fitted it so well um, together uh, and the name of the piece is digital platforms boundaries the interplay of firm scope platform sites and digital interfaces um, it's available online since 2020 uh, and published in october 2021 in long-range planning and it's an open access uh, piece, which is really, really good. Annabelle, how would you summarize this uh, yeah, very rich piece for, for our audience in a couple of minutes? 
thank you, uh, Philip. And I'm delighted you want to speak about this paper because uh, this paper um, really took a number of years for me to write. And I'm glad you think it's concise because every single line of this paper was, was written and rewritten many, many times. Um, and I'm, yes, um, thanks for the opportunity to, to, to summarize its main ideas. So as we said in the beginning of this conversation, the very notion of a platform is sometimes a little confusing. Is this an organization? Is this a market? Is this a technology? And so I thought to clarify this notion, if you want to understand what something is, it would be useful to understand what the boundaries of this object are. And I noticed that nobody spoke about boundaries of the platform. Uh, sometimes people confuse the platform with the ecosystem that it is a, a part of. And again, sometimes people talk about platforms as markets. What's the boundary of a the market then? And sometimes people talk about the platforms just as the technology. So I thought to focus at the level of the firm. And I thought, let's consider what I call a platform firm. That is a platform whose main business model is around, you know, these multi-sided um, dynamics that we, that we discussed before. And the, the way I tend to write, I, I believe my, my best articles is to try to step back from multiple literatures and to try to bridge them and to try to, to extract the, the most powerful insight from each of these literatures. And, um, and it may have to do with my own education that I started off as an engineer and then worked in industry and then, and then learned about economics as well as management and organization. And, uh, and I think it's very important for platform scholars to, to read very broadly, to be able to not just be in the silo of, of just one discipline. So uh, what, I'm, uh, what I'm doing in this article is I'm exploring the factors that drive uh, digital platform firms to set their boundaries or to modify their boundaries. And I build on economics as well as strategy and information systems research. And I suggest that uh, digital platform firms make decisions over three distinct types of boundaries, which hadn't been brought together in any conceptual um, paper before. The first one is what we can call the scope of the platform firm. And here is the traditional definition of what the scope of a firm is, except it's in the case of a platform firm. So that decision is about what assets are owned, what labor is employed, and what activities are performed by the firm. Uh, the second boundary decision has to do with the platform size. And what about the platform size is being decided? Well, the configuration of these sites and the composition of these sites. So that means which distinct groups of customers have access to the platform. So if you think about most of the economics literature, the principal uh, conceptualization of platform is going to be as a multi-sided market where there will be decisions about pricing to multiple sites. And increasingly um, about the composition of these sites, because we have new, new work about the heterogeneity within complementers, for example. The third um, qualitatively different uh, boundary uh, has to do with the digital interface that specify the exchange of data, and in particular, the two-way exchange of data between the platform firm and each of the site. So the reason I consider these decisions boundary decisions because they are structural decisions having to do with how to govern assets in a different way. So these three decisions are the scope of the firm, 
the sides, as well as the digital interfaces. And what I explore in this article is the interdependencies between these decisions, which uh, if you read different literature just on their own, may seem separate from the other decisions. And the point I'm making in this, uh, in this paper is that uh, we can see that these decisions are interdependent and that um, depending on in the life cycle of a platform, whether you are in the beginning of, of, of the life of a platform, that, that first phase, which I call the launch phase, which is when you may have several platforms competing with each other, but the market hasn't tipped yet and there is no, there is no winner take all yet. So between this launch phase and the other phase, you know, the, the maturity phase, where those platforms that haven't uh, exited, those who survive are becoming dominant. I, I, um, I develop hypotheses that say that you have some clusters of decisions around those three boundaries um, that appear in the first phase or in the second phase. And I also identify that these decisions would be different whether the platform would be an innovation platform or a transaction platform. So you can see that there are a number of variables in this paper and the challenge of writing that paper was to make this argument as, as clearly as possible. And so the, what the paper is trying to, to, to do is to clarify, again, the boundaries of the platforms, to identify the interdependency between them. And the objective is to, is to, to explain why we see so much variation in boundaries across platforms and over time. And I think that's, to my knowledge, the first paper that attempted to do that. Thank you very much for presenting the paper. Reading it was great. Hearing from, from your voice, it's even better because uh, we can get the nuances of the person that actually you know, got all the points together. And uh, the word that got my attention the most while you were talking is the interdependence among the three variables that you were mentioning, the scope, the size, the digital interface. And uh, actually it, it brought to, to the definition of a question. When I usually teach, uh, especially, you know, MBAs, executive MBAs, you, you have many people that for their project works, for their innovation ideas, thinks about platforms. And even if you look at the market, it's full of startups in every country that try to create a new Airbnb or the new Uber for something. And I was wondering, you know, sometimes to actually get to something, it's easier to, to ask for the contrary of, of what someone is, is explaining. So you said these three variables should move together. There are interdependencies among them. What are, in your opinion, or according to your research, to what you've seen, the most common mistakes, so the missed interdependencies among these three variables? So, so uh, you know, the mistakes that platforms make, and we have a whole chapter about the mistakes that platforms make in our book, uh, The Business of Platforms, uh, have to do with sometimes mistiming. I'm not sure the mistakes are necessarily about missing the interdependencies between mm -hmm. these variables. Uh, I think, uh, let me tell you the mistakes that we have identified. And, you know, again, we have, a, we have a chapter in the book just about the mistakes, and we have I think an article in the Harvard Business Review looked because we looked at the data and looking at 250 uh, platforms and there was most of them ended up being failures. So mistake we have identified had to do with the uh, timing, 
had to do with, uh, you know, so that would be entering too late. Mm -hmm. uh, because as, as we've seen in many cases, these markets tip. So if you, if you enter too late, uh, you may not be able to, you may not be able to catch up. Some other mistakes have to do with hubris. And here we saw an example with Microsoft that um, that uh, was that was in a you know with Internet Explorer that was able to to achieve a position where you could have thought that after the battle between Explorer and Netscape that Internet Explorer had really won, but it turned out that they didn't. Uh, Microsoft they thought that they had won this forever. And they did not manage to, to fix many of the problems, a lot to do with security over Internet Explorer. So that, that, was, a, that was a big issue as well. So uh, we had timing. But another mistake has to do with pricing. So mispricing. And one of the difficulties that platform startups have is which sides should be subsidized. Uh, uh, characteristics of platform business model is often that one size, at least one size is being subsidized so that the other side is going to pay for it. So we see that obviously in the canonical example of, of Google search, where Google has on, one, on the one hand users like you and me who want to find the result to a search on Google. And on the other side, you're gonna have advertisers. And you, know, you teach platforms, a number of us do. We, were, we always ask the question to our students, what would have happened if the search would be charged uh, and obviously it's it, that nothing in the technology of search says that it has got to be given away for free we could have thought that google would have a model like netflix has a subscription model where you can get maybe all your searches for free if you pay a certain fixed fee or maybe you would be charged per search but uh, what uh, what google did is is to not charge anything for for the search side but charge the advertisers and the reason is because that the demand and the willingness to pay of advertisers increases a lot if you have a lot of users on the other side, right? So, so charging the wrong side or charging too much for one side or the opposite, not charging anybody. Uh, and Uber has been uh, guilty of that, of, of, uh, of offering uh, very generous policies uh, for the drivers, subsidizing the rides as well in an effort to achieve uh, a tipping point and a winner take all. But after years and years of being in business, Uber still hasn't made any profit. And so the mistake about pricing and about oversubsidizing had to do with uh, getting stuck into what we call uh, an, infinite, uh, an infinite launch loop. So that's, uh, that's, another, that's another mistake. Yeah, I think another mistake has to do with trust, with mistrust. Mm -hmm. uh, and that has to do with the governance of the ecosystem and the curation of the platform. We see that, uh, and, you know, Facebook is the, is the poster example of that. That if you, if you, if you uh, allow bad actors and poor quality interaction to happen on the platform, you're going to depress the experience for, for all the users. And because so many platforms, um, their value add is to connect people who don't know each other, to connect strangers together, to connect organizations who don't know each other, being able to be a trustworthy intermediary is, is critical to the value of the platform. 
Uh, and um, and we've seen in recent uh, in recent years that some of the platforms that have achieved great uh, reach uh, didn't think hard enough of the of the of the necessity to govern the ecosystem. And what's so hard about governing the ecosystem is that when you are a startup, you're focusing on increasing the network effects, increasing your reach, having as many users as possible. So it sounds very counterintuitive to turn away some users or to make it harder for users or to monitor what the users do. But then after the market tips, when you go from being a fledgling startup to a dominant firm, the expectations of the users are very different. And you cannot afford to, to be complacent or to, or to not do everything you can to increase the trust um, on the platform. So these were the, the four mistakes we identified. Mistiming, mispricing, mistrust, and hubris. No. When 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 I started from the interdependencies, I was thinking mainly at scope and, and, and size. Probably if you start with a mismatch among the two, all the mistakes you were mentioning become even you know heavier because at that point you've got or too many sides or a too broad scope for the sides you've got on board. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and you know, for example, if you think about Facebook, okay. So let me give you an example where. Uh, the, the, the different boundaries are interrelated. And that, there is an illustration about that in, in the paper. So when Facebook acquired Instagram, uh, Facebook therefore expanded the scope of its firm. Obviously, it acquired a new firm, okay? Now, if you think about the effect this had on the sides, before the acquisition, Facebook had its own multiple side, the advertiser side, the user side, and the developer side. Okay? And Instagram would have the user side and, the, and its advertiser side. Okay? After the acquisition, so after the scope of the firm itself got expanded, the user sides of Facebook and the user side of Instagram became one side. And the advertiser sides, again, were rejoined. Even if at the moment of the acquisition, Facebook had declared and promised to the regulatory authorities that they would keep these together, that would not mix together the data. And it was on that basis that those acquisitions were, um, this acquisition was, uh, was uh, authorized. But a few years later, um, uh, Facebook, you know, integrated the back, the back office, as they said, and they brought together these data sets, which makes sense strategically from their own perspective. So you see that the scope of this the scope of the firm, the extension of the scope of the firm led to a, a consolidation of the of the multiple sites. If we think now about what happened to the digital interfaces. So if you think about the digital interface, the two-way um, interface, the two-way connection between Facebook and its developers. And let's link that to the question of trust, right? You could say that the scandal of Cambridge Analytica came from Facebook being too open, allowing, allowing without enough control third parties to tap into the data that was generated on the Facebook platform. And so here I want to indicate that we often hear, especially in regulatory circles, that the only way forward that is acceptable is more openness. But uh, we have to be very careful that openness can also mean, uh, you know, openness shouldn't mean lack of monitoring 
or lack of responsibility or lack of curation. And so, so we have to be very careful about the openness of the digital interface so that we can preserve what I think is good for innovation, which is uh, some degree of interoperability without, however, relinquishing uh, responsibility and, li and liability over activities that are happening on the platform. That's, that's super, super interesting. I first like to, to pick up a, a comment that you made about Uber, which is still working on becoming profitable. And I think Uber, also in the literature, it's uh, often is like mentioned as being an asset light uh, business, business model, uh, which of course is on the one hand true because it doesn't own the vehicles, it doesn't employ the drivers. But on the other hand, if you think about the like huge amounts of uh, investment, venture capital investment, and now also investment from the from the public investors uh, after the IPO, then I think it's it's also on the other hand a bit of an illusion uh, because probably there's a relationship between being asset light and being easily accessible, which means you have more competition, which means you need to invest more in becoming the dominant platform. So maybe there is uh, something, um, some some relationship between these two. Absolutely, and, and and this notion of asset light, a number of a number of commentators have uh, identified that many platforms seem to be asset light, and uh, clearly, when you think about you know the business model of Uber, where they don't own the taxis, or the business model of Airbnbs, where they don't own the hotels or or, or the real estate, um, clearly some platforms, especially transaction platforms have entered the business in an asset-like manner, uh, taking advantage of the pervasive connectivity that exists thanks to the internet and the fact that everybody's got a mobile device in their hand. So, so we have um, the emergence of those asset lights uh, firms. Now, the analysis that we made um, in our book um, on the data of, of, uh, of uh, platform companies has shown that, uh, first of all, the innovation platform are not asset lights. The transaction platforms are more asset light than innovation platforms. Uh, the innovation platforms tend to be asset heavy. It takes a lot of R&D to develop those core technologies. A lot of those innovation platforms build their own complements as well. But let me try to dig a little deeper into the economic forces that may, that may affect firm scope. Okay, so, so, so um, in digital context, you know, the process of digitalization it changes boundaries for all digital firms because uh, connectivity uh, allows you know, objects to be, to be connected with, to each other, allows data to be shared, and, uh, and um, organizations consume data as well as generate data. So, so what we see is that um, you have, you have uh, the digital technologies that they rely on reprogrammable functionality and repurposable digital device. That leads to a reduction in asset specificity because you can use and reuse programs um, and, uh, and digital assets in a variety of, of settings. That leads to a reduction in asset specificity. So you have a, a kind of fungibility of, uh, of digital assets. Uh, and you can reuse data analytics capability. You can reuse data generated by the users in the install base. And that can create opportunity into, into multiple markets. So also, the fact that agents can be monitored, can be controlled, the, the fact you have this always-on connectedness 
It changes the way in which agents and resources can be identified, and can be monitored, and can be controlled. So whereas in a more traditional economy, in order to monitor the asset and exploit the asset, you had to own them in order to utilize them, to exploit them, and to monitor their activities. Nowadays, you can utilize assets that are outside the scope of the firm. So if you think about the degree of control that Uber has over its drivers, it's something completely unprecedented and that you wouldn't have in in manufacturing type type industries. So you see, these are forces uh, that allow uh, value to be created with fewer assets by taking advantage of the connectivity. On the other hand, and there is a paradox here, digital connectivity also is a driver for firm expansion, so which is exactly the opposite. And the reason that's the case is because digitalization makes market entry easier. Uh, Firms can capture data and can aggregate data from various sectors, and they can exploit new kinds of synergies. So when we see a firm like Amazon going from market to market, seamlessly entering these sectors as if they were porous walls between them, from from books to toys to um, to uh, re- being a retailer of, of, of most uh, most uh, uh, physical products, but also selling uh, cloud-based services, uh, distributing video. So what we see is that the data-driven market entry, so the market entry is being facilitated by anal- analyzing uh, data coming from multiple sources. That can result in the expansion of the scope of digital platform firms. And that's exactly what I suggest in the paper is that Whereas in the early days of platforms, and in particular transaction platforms, we tend to see narrow scope of the firm. So lower barriers to entry to start off as a a transaction platform where you can connect multiple users without having to invest in lots of assets. What we tend to see is that over time, those platforms that succeed, they tend to diversify and enter into new sectors and unearth complementarities across sector which means that they end up acquiring more and more assets. So the asset light firm may be a life form of platform that exists more in their early days, but that's not the end life form, if you wish, of, of platforms. Yeah, I, I, t- I totally uh, agree agree with that. Um, talking about the, the assets, and um, you mentioned that like everyone had a, had a smartphone at, at some point in time. How do you see the role of the quote-unquote control over physical interfaces? We talk a lot about the digital ones, um, but could be Apple uh, with the with the iPhone, Android, who is almost uh, like total control over the devices that that run on the Android op- Android operating system. Microsoft with the operating system on the PC, um, something like Amazon with the Alexas, trying to build that with more or less success. Um, and and what I think is an interesting development at the moment is that Meta, former Facebook, tries to, in my opinion, gain control over the VR goggles to enter a new environment, being the the Metaverse. We could see something similar with Tesla having the physical interface opening up a digital space within the car, so making the car a a physical, let's call it gateway, uh, if you want. To, to the digital world. Um, so so how, how would you how would you see that the, the physical interface um, in your like framework 
is it comparable to to the digital ones or yes i don't see i don't see a fundamental distinction in the in the strategic trade-offs associated with opening or closing an interface whether they are physical or digital uh, i think you're right to identify that uh, there are trade-offs and the design of interfaces is extremely important in platform strategy so let's just revisit the basic okay interfaces in the world of platform are important because in particular the interface between the core platform and the complements uh, so if you think about the interface of apple ios right or the interface of, of android they're important because if they are open enough they will make it easier for third parties for complementors to develop complementary products services or in innovations on top of the core innovation platform. On the other hand, anybody can turn an interface into a bottleneck, right? So you have to think about the trade-off between value creation and value capture. If your objective as a firm is to encourage as many uh, complementary innovators as possible, you are going to want to have open APIs to share a software developer kits, and uh, to facilitate the work and, uh, of, of third parties to connect to your platform, okay? Now, if you want to capture as much value as possible, you might want to make it difficult for others to copy what you do, okay? So usually what successful platforms do is that they are opening up the interfaces that facilitate complementary developers, but they still find a way to be closed on the technologies that make them unique and difficult to imitate. So it boils down to not just should you open or close your interfaces, but which interfaces do you leave open versus which interfaces do you leave, do you leave closed? I'm not sure that, as, as I mentioned earlier, what drives these trade-offs is, is, is fundamentally different for physical interfaces than for digital interfaces. What digital interfaces do is that they open up to so many people very quickly the possibility of connecting um, you know, different apps, different services, different technologies to it. So I think the speed of diffusion gets accelerated because, because of digital. You know, looking at uh, the images of your paper and reading the, the propositions, I was wondering if you have an opinion on something that, that deals with the hybrid companies. Mm -hmm. So these companies that are both transaction platforms and innovation platforms. Mm -hmm. I was looking at the set of companies you put in the, in the gray area. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the propositions, you suggest that in both cases, so both starting from a transaction and both starting from an innovation, yes. at a certain point, you may think about adding sites that are coming from the other type yes. of platforms. Yes. Well, the easy question would be, where would you suggest to start from? The long question would be, uh, it seems like that many of the hybrid companies, not all probably, but many of the hybrid companies that start from the innovation platforms mm. are, you know, long-standing companies mm. that, that started decades ago, while the others seems younger. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Do you see something like that happening? Do you think it might be? I think you're right. And I think it's related to what we talked earlier about barriers to entry and asset light versus mm-hmm. asset heavy. Precisely because um, it's cheaper and easier to enter the market as a transaction platform, you're going to tend to see newer and smaller companies on the transaction platform side. Mm-hmm. And what we see is that those who succeed or who survive Then they say, okay, let's open some APIs. Let's bring in some additional complementers. So we see a lot of examples going that way of transaction platforms that start to open APIs and try to go towards innovation platforms. I also agree with your observation that a number of those innovation platforms have been there for a while, have taken a long time to to, to establish themselves. And on that basis of technological superiority and, and access to capital and technology, they have developed an innovation platform and then they've added their their um their marketplace so to speak okay um perhaps an exception to that would be facebook because facebook started as a social network mm. and um and we we consider that a transaction platform because the data is exchanged Although I could see that, you know, you could say, well, you know, the method that I just created did not exist before. So isn't that innovation? Mm. So you you could, you know, I guess it could be argued, but we said, you know, that innovation platforms is 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 a is a technological foundation upon which other firms develop complementary innovations. So yeah. we don't consider, you know, a text or a message to be an innovation. Uh, but I agree with you, the you know, younger and smaller firms, it's easier for them to start off as transaction platforms and the innovation platform tend to be more established, requiring a lot more capital. And also when we, when we get to the question of the, the, how to launch a platform, you know, this notion of the chicken or egg, where do you start? We find that one way for innovation platform to, to get uh, this momentum going is by building some of the complements themselves and that requires capital so um yeah i would agree i would agree with your with your comment about about that your observation about that we we always always end the interview with with the same uh same question the same invitation uh to to talk a bit about the future of platforms so where where Uh are we heading with with platform research and I cannot resist to to add uh, another another question to that because I think it will be uh, related to to what what you're working on in the future, especially, um, which is the differentiation between the launching phase and the maturity phase. Does this already play a role in the discussions about platform regulation on the governmental level? That would be something that I would be particularly interested in because we understand them better and better, and it feels like. In the regulation, it's still one size fits all solutions for for platform regulation. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. So, Philip, if you allow me, I will start with that. Okay. So, in Europe, as you know, there are two uh, new proposals that will become law very soon. You know, one about the Digital Market Act and the other one about the Digital Services Act. So, the Digital Services Act is about liability on platform content. And the Digital Markets Act focuses more on antitrust competitiveness and uh, making sure digital markets are contestable. So the Digital Markets Act in Europe focuses on a very small set of platforms which are which are considered gatekeepers. 
And these gatekeepers platform are, for all intents and purposes, the big dominant platforms. Um, now, you don't become a gatekeeper when you're a small platform, right? So I think that baked in this de denomination of gatekeeper, there is a there is there will be empirically a a, a triage of companies that uh, that will have achieved a certain degree of dominance, and that cannot happen if you're just a startup. So even if the life cycle isn't explicitly made into into the regulation, this focus on a certain set of rules that will only apply for gatekeepers, I think has pretty much the same effect. Although in the end of my paper, I, I suggest that, uh, you know, re with regard to this test, how do you decide when a platform is a gatekeeper or not? I suggest uh, as a kind of test to see whether the decision that those firms make on those three types of boundaries correspond to the, to the, to the hypothesis I identified about what could be different once you are in this maturity phase. Now, you asked me also a question about the future of platforms. And so I think we are actually working on a new book now. We're just starting with the, with the Michael Cusumano and David Joffe about this topic. And we have a paper in the Sloan Management Review uh, called uh, The Future of Platforms. And so, you know, there are platform battlegrounds that we think are going to be very important. One of them has to do with voice assistants. So Echo and Alexa, you know, is that going to be a new portal for all sorts of applications? Another one has to do with driverless cars. And uh, you talked about Uber before and about, uh, so there is uh, about asset lights. And one of the biggest costs obviously for Uber is drivers. So they try, they've tried to invest a lot in uh, into driverless technologies. Uh, recently, they ended up selling this uh, this division. Um, because of problems they ran into, but there is a lot of innovation about that. There's also in genetics, uh, this technology called CRISPR, which uh, some people have called uh, uh, digital scissors or genetics, sorry, genetic scissors. So it's a way to mix and match uh, different genes. And uh, we, we talk about that as well. We talk also about uh, quantum computing, which we think will be uh, uh, a platform for new technologies and new application, and it's just it's just the beginning. So these are some of the platforms of the future that we we have identified. Obviously, lots of people talk nowadays about the metaverse, and you mentioned Meta. You know, uh, it's it's a little bit unclear. Uh, you know, the extent to which you know augmented reality and different applications are going to have to be brought together. Uh, in that space, but but a number of companies start to talk about it, and uh, and uh, this is a topic that I'm interested in learning more about. Another one has to do with uh, decentralized platforms. Uh, so decentralized platforms, uh, you know, with the, with the blockchain, um, the extent to which this decentralization is going to be sustainable, issues around governance. Around that, there is also obviously all a lot going on in the world of so-called crypto, so cryptocurrencies, which is related to decentralized platforms. So these are the sort of themes that I think will be worth uh, following in the next few years in the in the in the world of platforms. And in terms of topic, I think that governance of platforms is going to become increasingly important. These issues around curation 
are going to be really important. And this is happening in the context of of, of an evolution of the evolution of a of a regulatory framework around platforms. So I think it would be great to also great opportunities to study the evolution of platform strategies before and after regulatory shocks. I think there would be very interesting studies in that. So I've given you a lot of uh, lot of uh, points here. The yeah, thank, thank, thank you so much. That's that's, that's so exciting, uh, exciting work work ahead. And I, I think it's very very beautiful how like your strong engineering background also is displayed in in the the topics that you choose, the very technical topics, and and also how you like really really understand it and and, and bring it in the context of digital platforms. Annabelle, thank you so much for, for your you. time. Thank you. Thank uh, you. A pleasure. That was really an, an, an amazing episode again. If people want to learn more about your work, what's, yes. uh, what's the best way to, to follow your work? Are you active on a social media platform or where can yes, I, I, uh, I mean, first of all, for those who would like to know what articles I've published. So I think a good place to start would be the Google Scholar page because you have all the all the papers uh, being listed there. Uh, and uh, whenever I have a new publication, I, I talk about it uh, on, on LinkedIn. So connecting on LinkedIn is, is a good thing. And I, I use Twitter as well, but perhaps a little less than LinkedIn. But so I use both. Okay, perfect. Yeah, we will link everything as always in the show notes. Um, yeah. So again, thank you so much for for coming. Thank you so much for sharing your your wisdom with us. Thank um, you. And something else I would like to say is that we have a, a great center. I'm the director of the Center of Digital Economy at the University of Surrey, where we look at the digital economy from different angles, different perspectives, and different disciplines. And um, uh, I would encourage those who are interested in this topic to to have a look on our website, uh, you know, the Center of Digital Economy at Surrey to look at not just my work, but the work of my, of my colleagues who work on, 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 uh, on platforms, on ecosystems, on ethics, um, um, on AI, uh, on digital strategy. And so there's a community of, of researchers here and we're always very happy for people to connect. Wonderful. We will, we will link that as well. And maybe we can also invite someone else from your center then for a future episode pleasure i'll give you a few names thank you thank you very much for joining us it was a great pleasure having you thank bye you bye. thank you philip bye-bye Bye. thank you for listening to this episode of talking about platforms to support our work you can rate the episode or leave a comment on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to hit the follow button so you don't miss out to the coming episodes. If you want to look up at the papers we have discussed or other topics we addressed, visit talkingaboutplatforms.com. There you can find the show notes and get in touch with us. Until next time, when we're again talking about platforms.